you. Hello, lovely sisters. How are we feeling today? Okay, I'm going to try not to cry. I'm going to do my best, but uh, I can't make any guarantees. <laughs> we'll just see how this goes down. Ashley also has a box of Kleenex if, because um, the stories you're about to hear, the beauty and the character of your sisters in Christ will blow you away, and brothers and sisters in Christ. And so, yeah, you can pass that around like a communion, communion cup if, or a, like a collection plate if anybody needs a Kleenex. So, you guys, I have so much of you in my heart. So much of you in my heart. I want to start today with um, a quick thank you to Florida College for both this special opportunity and especially for the three above average grandchildren that, long story short, are a result of a twinkle in the eye that started right here on this very campus in the year 2000. And so, Florida College, what a blessing you have been to us and so, so many others in so many ways. So, of all the accomplished people that could have been invited to speak for you today, um, thank you for attending what feels to me like the last shall be first day here <laughs> at Florida College. And it's been especially fun and ridiculous to be able to say with accuracy, former Vice President Mike Pence and I have been invited to speak for Florida College. <laughs> Wow. <laughs> the question we most often get is, why this nomad quest? Well, in 2014, I was climbing a six-mile loop up and around Cooper Mountain in Beaverton, Oregon, our hometown of 28 years, and was struck by the deepest gratitude for all of the blessings that we had right where we were. Gratitude, though, that was somehow coexisting alongside an ever-growing hunger. I longed to learn important new things in a new way and to develop my weak areas and to connect with all kinds, of all kinds of new people while living nomadically. So I wanted to take in, of course, the beauty of the, the national parks and soak up uh, the gorgeous creation of God. But mostly, it was the people. People are fascinating and people are our favorite. So I began to ask God for the merging of our life's work with a divine opportunity to take a voyage, like a passion project, that would both, <laughs> I knew it would be both terrifying and liberating at the same time. So my husband Mark had preached over 3,700 sermons in Oregon, had taught on local television programs, had, did Bible study meetups, and with a little help from some of his preacher trainees, put over 10,000 flyers on the front doors uh, all around town in pursuit of Bible classes. So after 28 happy years with our dear congregation, we sensed that it was time both for us to find fresh soil to plant God's word in hearts looking for a fresh start and for the congregation to experience a fresh voice. So our vision was that we would take flight in 2020. The timing seemed right. We'd raised our children, we'd paid off our mortgage, we'd strengthened those who had been, uh, that we had taught in the faith, and our parents had passed. And so I'd completed my volunteer work for two police departments in the community. So for almost seven years, we would, we started every day like flipping switches, so to speak, to make this thing happen. Slowly, we began to trade our material things in for what we valued more, unencumbered 
movement. We gave thought to what we wanted to keep down to the paper clips, reducing our belongings to an absolute minimum. We brought order to the electronic corners of our life, cleaning up 40 years of our life's written work into edited, shareable electronic documents that could make a difference in the souls that we would meet on the road. I learned how to podcast, and my daughter over here, who is also my clicker today, <laughs> uh, she helped me build a website and that I could blog about our travels. And then one day it hit me. What if instead of blogging about cool places, I mostly blogged about the inspiring Christians that I would meet along the way and the simple, biblical, thoughtful, practical ways each congregation that we would visit was accomplishing God's work to his glory. So we figured we would visit probably about 100 congregations during our two-and-a-half-year journey. And so that round number made me realize the most good that could be done would be if my blog eventually became a book called 100 Churches. So as 2020 drew near, we prepared to sell our house and bought a black Airstream interstate van. I ordered a license, our license plate, which truth be told is a prayer to God to move me. And we named our van the Fresh Prince, since from the back, he looks to be sporting a Will Smith's 90s high top fade haircut. Do you agree? Kinda, kinda. So, COVID hit at this very time that our house was listed on the real estate market, and we thought, what better time to go out and meet as many people as possible than during a worldwide <laughs> pandemic? Yeah, Mark, go shower in literally hundreds of public RV bathhouses during a pandemic. That'll build your immunity. <laughs> so, we knew this was gonna be a wild ride, but come what may, we were, we were good with that. The final switch that was flipped on July 21st, 2020, when after a last lunch with a very sacrificial friend, in the spirit of the poor, widow of, the poor widow's offering of Luke 21, she handed me this wad of cash that was so sacred to me that it would take me 134 days to find someone that I could hand that cash to with a clean conscience. It happened to be to a preacher in Georgia willing to take a new brother in Christ to buy some much-needed clothes who had just kicked to the curb a wicked, tough drug habit, had put on Christ, and was bringing forth fruit in keeping with his repentance. So this was my sacrificial friend in the end who clothed Christ by clothing this clothless man, Matthew 25, 36. And in this way, she did what she could. So with that, we pulled away from the curb toward our new home everywhere. We were officially nomads. But you know what? The truth is, we're all nomads, you and I. This, my sisters, is our primary message to the world and the souls that we encounter. I mean, think about it. All that pre-scientific foreknowledge and fulfilled, scripture and fulfilled prophecies in the scriptures and every bit of the jaw-dropping, undeniable, intelligent design that we see through our microscopes and our telescopes and through every one of our five senses, every moment of our existence points to the fact that there is a God and that the scriptures are God-breathed. And it's those scriptures that state over and over again 
who we are. We are a soul with a spirit housed for only a little while in these tents we call bodies. Bodies that include a mind that we are steering with our hearts toward an eternity of our own choosing. No matter how much of a homebody you, we, you are, we are all journeying like straying pilgrims to an eternal home beyond this life, a journey that's all about preparing to meet our creator. And we prepare to meet him by using life's experiences to grow in ourselves the beauty of his virtuous character and thus partake of his divine nature as we read in 1 Peter 1. In a world where millions of souls wander all their lives looking for the meaning of life and their purpose in this world, our creator has told us, his nomadic children, in Ephesians 2, 20 through 22, exactly who we are and what life's about. He says, you are God's household, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole building being fitted together is growing up into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together into a dwelling of God in the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 3 adds that since we are a temple of God and the Spirit of God dwells in us, if any man destroys the temple of God, God will destroy him. For the temple of God is holy. And that is what you are. Listen, receive this deep within your being as if you're hearing it for the first time. During your life journey, your heavenly Father has handed you an ancient, a holy, ancient pattern to help build the single most beautiful spiritual temple that will ever exist. There exists no purpose for living more meaningful than carrying out the primary directive given us as fellow builders in Hebrews 8.5 to see to it that you make everything according to the pattern shown you. What makes the temple builders I'm about to describe to you today so beautiful is this thing they have in common. They have set their affections on things above. They are repentant sinners like you and me that I caught in the act of being inspiring. Souls whom I fully believe never were looking to be noticed or praised, these souls would be the first to tell you, all glory is God's. God has surely answered my license plate prayer to move me, and I believe you also will be moved by what your spiritual family is accomplishing. I want to start with a story that began with a text from my friend Holly Schaefer in Missouri. We were due to mooch dock at their house that night, and her text said that her husband Jacob had, been, had heard through the grapevine that there was a man who had been studying with a preacher in Kentucky, but he was stuck without money because his, uh, his motorcycle had broken down hours away from where Jacob and Holly live. Someone asked if Jacob was interested in picking him up and helping him in whatever way he needed. And so the hero of my story, this extremely hardworking man with young children, in essence said, sure, I'll lose a night's sleep to help this stranger. 
By the time we arrived, the young man had been retrieved and was working on his motorcycle in the dark in the driveway. And we connected over our mutual love of riding motorcycles. And we said we'd see him at the dinner table whenever he finished his repairs, at which point Jacob would be driving him back to where he'd picked him up. So I had told Holly that my goal was, as usual, to try to get my little book, Your Fresh Start, which contains five of the most foundational Bible classes you can teach someone into his hands in such an organic way that rather than feeling awkward, it would feel like the gift that it is. So when he joined us at the dinner table, I could see more clearly that this guy had been through a lot. And I was, so I was like asking him about his life story and what challenges he was facing. And he, he told his stories and began, he began to try to convince us that how everything over the last few days just seemed to be falling in place. He was like, first this happened, and then that, and then, then I met Jacob, and we've had these long talks. And when it felt right, I asked him, so what are you looking for? And he goes, you know what I'm looking for? I'm just looking for a fresh start. And so I, <laughs> Holly's like, you know, I, if you know Holly Schaefer, she's like, you know, she'll, she explodes in reaction. And um, I'm trying to hold it together. And I'm like, oh, that's, that's really interesting because I've happened to have written a one book that's been published, and it's called Your Fresh Start. And I have one in the van if you'd like one. And he's, <laughs> and he's, he's like, sure, but of course now he's even more creeped out, you know, like. <laughs> and so... In between bites, we're finishing dinner, and, I, and he keeps talking. And I'm like, hmm, kind of makes you wonder what a person's supposed to do with this kind of opportunity. Listen, he said, humbly and honest. Bingo. I don't pretend to know everything God is doing, but I can tell you this. Providence happens. And when it does, since every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, I thank him for the amazing timing of the opportunities that come our way. Uh, watching these kinds of moments unfold was not only my favorite part of our 861 days of living full-time nomadically, it will forever be my favorite part of being human. To watch the workings of God, both in nature and especially in the lives of people's lives, it's just better than anything that you can see on any screen. Yes? Yes. <laughs> my next story took place in Pennsylvania where my friend Josh Gertler was telling us that some of his Amish friends that had been discussing among their congregations whether or not baptism was necessary for salvation. But how difficult it was for them since they're encouraged not to read the Bible in order to keep the peace. So, Josh drove us to meet one of his Amish friends at his own farm, and early in our fascinating conversation, he explained with deep, germ, thick, deep emotion and a very thick German accent, I can't, I can't resist reading the scriptures. It comes alive. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, he, he's like wide-eyed, and it's so beautiful, this enthusiasm, ladies, that should live in every one of our hearts. And... So he runs into his house to go retrieve his Bible. He's like, do you want to see it? I'm like, yeah. So he runs in, and he brings it out. And as the men continued to talk, I asked him if I could hold his Bible. And he, said, he handed me his Bible. And so while they're talking, I'm turning to 1 Peter 3.21. 
And when there was a pause in their conversation, I said, I handed his, him his Bible back and said with my finger on the passage, this amazes me. Have you seen this? Isn't this something? And with thoughtful silence, he slowly began to read and nodded, baptism now saves you. Not the removal of dirt from the flesh, but an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It was a conversation that I will never forget. And in the end, we mailed him a copy of Your Fresh Start to help Josh help his Amish friend to keep connecting those dots so that his open heart can lead his congregation toward completely restored primitive Christianity built according to God's perfect pattern. Our God said in, our Lord said in Matthew 25, 36 and 40, to those about to inherit the kingdom of God, I was in prison and you came to me. I tell you the truth, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did it for me. We were moved by the number of congregations with members who are volunteering at jails and prisons to look into the word of God with inmates or are corresponding with them. Our sister Jan Kaufman was involved in a prison program in Florida that began in March of 18. Before the pandemic hit, they had touched the lives of 250 imprisoned women with the gospel. And we're looking forward to meeting Daryl Townsend in Middleburg, Florida, and a brother named Gregory Whipple that we learned from Kerry Keenan that he's running a prison ministry that recently, at our time of our visit, had baptized over 20 men that came to Christ. So if your congregation begins a work like this, Mark and I would love to supply you all the free copies of your fresh start that your jail or prison will allow. And I also have a sister named Christian Miller who did a PowerPoint to go along with it and to go along with your fresh start and it corresponds to it. She's happy to share that with anyone doing a prison ministry. So when we worshiped with the congregation in Lindale, Texas, there were three rows of men who were seated across from us who live at what was called the, what is called the Triumph Village. And so they had been studying with volunteers from the congregation. At the time of our visit, 10 souls had come to Christ through God's transformative word. And I had a great conversation with one of them who now uses his worst mistakes to help other men also turn to Christ. When I told him my background as a domestic violence resource advocate for two police departments and invited him to share his conversion story in writing for my 100 Churches book, this macho barrel of a man said, well, you probably can't tell right now, but I'm really excited about this. I've been praying for something like this to ha would happen, and I knew it would. I knew it would, and I'm going to get right on this. <sighs> what an inspiring example this brother in Christ is that any mountain can be overcome with a God who makes all things possible for those who love and obey him. Hallelujah. We are blown away by how many Christians are taking the gospel to foreign soils and are reaping much spiritual fruit all over the world. I'm curious, raise your hand if you, you or someone you know has participated in this kind of fruitful labor. That's what I was thinking. Yeah, I think I, that's what I thought I would see. Lots and lots of hands, almost everyone. In Pensacola, we happened to visit a congregation there the night that our brother Ian Rice shared his slides on a work he had just returned from. Um, in Kenya. 
And I've often kind of wondered, like, how do preachers begin conversations overseas? And in this case, I learned they started with whatever personal challenges were on the minds of the various individuals they encountered. So that when the preachers shared what God says in the scriptures about their specific challenges, those souls could see how practical the Bible's answers are for all their earthly, all their earthly challenges so that their hearts begin to open up to allow God to solve their biggest root problem, their lost soul. What a great approach that any of us could implement. In Cedar Park, Texas, we were incredibly encouraged to sit with Brian Tacker, who had gone to India on business and met a preacher named Billy. And you can go to their website to hear firsthand a much more detailed story but about uh, that, that I'm about to share. But Billy's 55-year-old grandfather had been the principal at a Baptist cemetery in southern India and was exceptionally influential as a scholar, writer, and professor. Upon studying the scriptures, though, more deeply with a Bible-following Christian, he realized many of the beliefs and practices he had been teaching were either adding to or taking away from God's instructions with the divine patterns of the scriptures. So he knew that if he held on to what he had, yes, he would continue to have power and influence and financial prosperity. But this honest and good heart, to, that, to this honest and good heart, those things were completely meaningless compared to the very voice of his holy God in writing. The moment he was convicted, he told the man he was studying with that he needed to take care of a few things before being born again. He then raced to his office, wrote a resignation letter to his denomination, left it on the desk, then returned to the Christian he had been studying with and was baptized into Christ for the forgiveness of sins, Acts 2.38. Surrendering everything to align his teachings with the will of God. One of the first things he did was use his personal savings to build a facility to privately educate and train young men to become preachers all over India dedicated to handling and preaching the word of God more accurately. To this day, they start an average of 30 congregations every year. Eventually, Billy's father taught and baptized. Here's the Kleenex part. Oh. <laughs> it's, it's cool, Ash. I'm okay. <laughs> Eventually, Billy's father taught and baptized a colony of 300 lepers. You, you sisters, you have, you have brethren in Christ that are all considered cursed and outcasts in the culture. But as you know, each and every one of those souls is precious and worth more than all the world to our God. And a lot of the orphans that they had um, were the, born to these lepers. And so they, in order to keep them to get, from getting leprosy, they said, do you want us to help with that? And so that's how all of that got started. But... Some members at the church in Cedar Park flew to India to see for themselves what was happening there and witnessed all that I've described, plus the 100 orphans this Christian family was caring for, teaching them diligently the healing words of God. You'll be encouraged to know that individual Christians who worship at the Cedar Park Church of Christ um, created a charitable foundation several years ago called the Cedar Park Friends Foundation as a means of good deeds. And when a prostitute who lived next door to Billy's orphanage was trying to lure young orphan girls to come and work for her by throwing inexpensive jewelry over the fence, this foundation bought her property out from underneath her and 
Billy now uses that house for godly purposes and said that they've never lost one soul to this woman of the many, many children that they have cared for. And in fact, sometimes these orphan girls even grow up, fall in love, and marry one of the preachers Billy has trained. How wonderful. If you'd love to share the gospel in faraway places but cannot for whatever reason, here's an option we witnessed in the congregation in Las Cruces, New Mexico. They teach classes to Chinese exchange students who come to their area for, to attend college. When these students return to China, the ones whom this congregation has led to the truth, of course, return with the good news that many people have never heard there. What a divine opportunity that sometimes China and other countries come to us, don't they? If your congregation is near a college campus, you could do what a congregation is doing in Bowling Green, Kentucky, where the college-age students themselves head up classes on campus with material that they studied the pr previous uh, quarter in their congregation. And there's a job for everyone. The girls help but with advertising and using sidewalk chalk to draw fun artistic invitations around the campus to come and join their Bible study. And, and after every term, Participants leave this experience with leadership skills, having been a powerful influence, and are bold with the gospel, more bold with the gospel than ever. So here's something that is very inspiring to consider if your congregation is if your congregation is near a military base. The sister that I met today from Beaufort, would you raise your hand today? I'm gonna say something. There she is, right in the middle over here. So when we visited their congregation, uh, we learned that they had been going out to Paris Island since the 70s to conduct worship services and Bible studies at the Marine Corps Recruit Depot and has over the years helped change the eternal destinies of around 500 servicemen. And of course, all the other unnumbered souls that they went on to bring to Christ. You know what encourages me the most? What encourages me the most are the men who are involved in training the next generation of preachers. Many do so one-on-one, -on -one. fantastic. And others like Harry Osborne in Oklahoma create an entire curriculum and network with other preachers to join forces in training larger groups of preachers, for example, in the Philippines and beyond. Sisters, can you imagine what the world would look like in one generation if every preacher, before he leaves this earth, determined to train, I don't know, seven? That seems to be a, a good number, seven preachers to take his place. Let's raise a generation of less distracted boys who realize the most honorable work on the planet is when a man dedicates his life to fearlessly speaking truth out into the world, truth that sets us free from all the destruction and chaos of sin. I also loved on our journey meeting people whom God has given new life to from the ashes despite all the odds, like one very anonymous sister in Christ who I met who chose God despite the fact that she was raised by a mother who had traded God in for witchcraft, climbing the ranks until she was a grand priestess. I was also very moved to hear of a young man we met um, 
and has become, who has become a very, very effective preacher despite having a father that in between practicing voodoo fathered over two dozen children. I rejoice in my sister in Christ whose parents are unbelievers and still... She was honest enough in her college biochemistry class after looking at the incredible complexity of living cells through a microscope, raised her eyes in awe and admitted, that's way too perfect. There is no way this happened by chance. There has to be a creator. This is a handiwork of God. I love that honest souls can even find God in a secular college. (laughs) Like, God has the upper hand, always. So, other delightfully surprising conversions that we heard about were among the souls living in a part of the country that is considered the Mecca for the New Age movement. Uh, There we were told that lately, many of the souls coming to be born again in the waters of baptism, John 3, 5, are now in their last decade or two of life, having tried all the various man-made approaches to cope with life, but finding in none of those worldviews the solid ground they needed to anchor themselves through life's storms, much less prepare to look their creator in the face and give an account to him for how they had lived their lives, Romans 14, 12. They del- they've discovered the hard way through much trial and error that Christ truly is who he claimed to be, the only way, the truth, and the life. The longer we live with our eyes open and our hearts humble, sisters, the more it hits us. God is right. Every single time. Receive this charitably. He's right about keeping our proper domain, Jude 1, including male leadership, Ephesians 5. And women keeping silent in the churches, 1 Corinthians 14.34. He's right about being filled with the Spirit instead of wine, Ephesians 5.18. He is right about setting no worthless thing before our eyes, Psalms 101.3 and 4. He is right about loving the eternal souls of men much more than any positive feelings we could ever experience by dressing or otherwise behaving like a stumbling block. Matthew 18, 6. God is right. We've, we discovered in our travels that one cannot tell how fruitful a congregation is by its size. Tiny churches without a church building or a paid preacher are often supporting a lot of preachers who are successfully bringing souls to God all over the world. We witnessed in Spring Hill, Florida, a unique spiritual intimacy that can be, can be enjoyed in a smaller congregation. When Dr. Weaver that morning, with sincere interest, gently asked family by family, how are you all doing? What would you like us to pray for your family? And when the whole room had expressed what was really making their heart heavy or grateful and rejoicing, They approached the throne of God together on what presently mattered the most deep down among this little flock. So if you worship at a smaller congregation, have been working for a long time and you're still small, you may be wondering, what, if anything, have you accomplished? I believe the honest answer is quite a bit, actually. 
If you've been preaching the word of God, God says his word never returns unto him void, Isaiah 55, 11. And thus your labor is never in vain in the Lord, 1 Corinthians 15, 58. To those of you in smaller congregations, remember this. A good portion of the fruits of your labors may not be seen locally. Rather, those fruits are timeless and are continuing to bear fruit by the ones who once came your way, were planted and nourished and watered for a time, and then went on to bear fruit in other parts of the world. Spiritual fruit cannot always be measured by physical evidence, right? That being said, there are two gro here are two uh, growth ideas that we witnessed. Some congregations are growing by using Google ads. In one case in New York City, a congregation spent about $300 a month on ads, resulting in about 1,000 views. That's translated into enough Bible studies that they have to shut down the ad from time to time um, for a while while they follow up on all those leads. Google ads. Sometimes we would walk out of a con larger congregation saying, we can see why this congregation is so packed. We learned that in some of the congregations that grow the most, they have this habit of mining. I call it mining every vein of gold, so to speak. Here's what I mean. About the time that they're tossing a towel to a newborn babe in Christ to dry his or her hair, they let them know, hey, if you have any friends or family that you'd like to share the truth with, we are ready to schedule those Bible studies today if you want. Uh, and if you sit in on those, you'll soon be ready to teach these basic classes on your own. So Dana is right. Adoption is ultimately gifting a child the opportunity to learn how to live life to God's glory and thus prepare to spend eternity with him. During the course of our travels, we attended two fundraisers for the privately funded organization Sacred Selections. So does the body of Christ today practice the pure and undefiled religion of visiting Orphans and their afflictions, I will let the over half million dollars that hardworking, sacrificial Christians raised at those two fundraisers speak for itself. One of the most beautiful adoption stories I've ever witnessed was in Casey, Illinois, where I met a sister named Sarah when I was invited to speak for the women in that congregation there. Sarah has given me permission to share this lovely story with you if I can get through it. <laughs> About the time she and her husband Caleb would envision the more care, could envision the more carefree, empty nest years approaching, they decided instead to adopt two little girls, one of which was Katie, an infant with congenital anomalies so profound that she was expected to live only about three years. She had been rescued from a drug house after her mother gave birth, after her birth mother went to jail. I've been in drug houses during my volunteer work, and I hate to think about what the living conditions may have been before Katie was rescued. At the time of our visit, Katie was still often waking up over and over again, many nights to be comforted. Her family feels like she's the best thing that has ever happened to them. Katie has exceeded her life expectancy, and here's the most beautiful part of all. Although Katie will never be able to understand, this family has motivated, was motivated to incur all the hoop jumping and extra expenses, including her bur future burial expenses, in order to adopt Katie. Because as Sarah put it, we wanted her to be ours. During whatever days Katie has left, she smiles at her selfless parents. She may weigh, I don't know, 40 pounds. <laughs> 
but that didn't stop her mother last summer from happily hauling her all over the Southwest on an epic road trip of their own, including down the deep stairs into the Antelope Canyon. Her mama's big smile says it all. She ain't heavy, she's my baby. How beautiful is this family so clothed in the compassion of Christ. This, my sisters, is the pure and undefiled religion described in James 1.27. So I want to thank you. I want to thank all the many mothers loving so well your children with special needs. You amaze me. Seriously. And I want to thank the adoptees who have also loved your parents back by embracing the priceless wisdom of God that they have shared with you. Praise God. Beyond adoption, all parenting is a kind of evangelism, isn't it, sisters? At lectures last year, my husband Mark met a sister some of you may have known named Carol Ann Hansen, who along with her husband Eric had fostered over 100 children. One week after meeting them, Mark was preaching in Spring Hill, Florida, and mentioned in passing how encouraged he had been by their labor of love. And afterward, our sister Judy walked up to him and said, And you know what? I was one of those foster children. The angels in heaven escorted this virtuous woman to her reward on October 12, 2022. What a hero. As we've traveled during the height of COVID, as well as during the major change in the White House, here's the five-word solution that made all the difference between those we saw sink and those we saw spiritually swim like an athlete. The valiant did not lose heart because they tapped into the reserves of faith that they'd stored up through the years of building spiritual muscle gained by feeding on the most tangible link we have between heaven and earth. The word of God. Simply put, they fixed their eyes. Simply put, they did not fix their eyes on empty, mind-numbing entertainment. Not on wringing their hands over the probable duration of this present nation. Not on obsessing as if their soul depended on it never to get sick. But those who rested their hearts in the things above instead believed God at his word to the very core when he said to live is Christ and to die, to die, yes ma'am, Philippians 1.21, to die is gain. So as cultural wildfires continue to burn around us, I want to leave you with something to remember no matter how unthinkable and out of nowhere your next nightmare loss or trial is. Here's what first century Christians were told during their time of great distress. From Luke 21, 28. When these things begin to take place, Jesus said, straighten up. Lift up your heads because your redemption is drawing near. So hold on tight to one another, sisters. Every faithful sister is on the same team, and we need every one of us on this team of spiritual temple builders. And just know that your quiet, humble acts of service that you perform in secret are every bit as beautiful in the sight of the Lord as the stories that I've told today. So find those sisters on the fringes in the kingdom and draw them near, and let's face the world head on with confidence in our God 
and optimism on our faces that he is faithful and our redemption is most certainly drawing near. I love you. God bless.